So we got through Romans 1 last week, which is amazing. And I'm going to do a recap. Otherwise, we will be starting in the middle, kind of mid-sentence, <laughs> trying to understand Paul. And that won't help us too much. Paul starts out that in verse 4, talking about Jesus who is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That's the encapsulation of the uh, what we call the atonement. It's the, the storyline that the apostles give over and over again, particularly if you read Acts. And let's see, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship. I'm in chapter 1, uh, the first part. A grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of trust among the Gentiles, among all the Gentiles, for the sake of his name. This is the goal Paul actually has in mind. We think of him as having in mind the goal of salvation by grace through faith. And you could say that, but his ultimate goal is the obedience of trust, as opposed to the obedience of law. So Paul's great concern here is to gain, is to regain, or is to have us regain our trust. And that happens through what God has done, not what we do. And I like the word trust, even though faithfulness uh, has been used, because faithfulness it's not usually something we do. It's like being loyal. It's like being, becoming trustworthy. And the, the Hebrew behind the Greek allows for that. But from everything that Paul says, trust to me works better. This is not assent as in belief. It's not tacit belief. It is something deeper. Trust is, in, 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 the, in the Hebrew, trust is the result of trustworthiness. Our trust is actually caused because the Hebrew uh, is causative. So it is really not trust. It is what causes our trust, or it's the causation of our trust. So in order to talk about that, he then talks about the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through, and here I would like to say through faithfulness for faith or through trustworthiness for trust. I'm sorry, where were you? Verse 17. Okay. So in it, in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through trustworthiness for trust. Whose trustworthiness? We will find that it is God's trustworthiness. And God's trustworthiness is built upon his righteousness. Mine says from faith to faith. You can also translate it that. Through fa- I have through faith for faith. I see. The word is the same, but keep in mind the word for trustworthiness and the word for trust are the same root, if not the same word. Romans, in Greek, I'm looking here to verse one, chapter 1. For the righteousness of God, uh, uh, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, ek pistios eis pistin, out of faith, unto faith, the result of trustworthiness to trust, is how I translate that, because N.T. Wright and others have argued that 
the word faith here means faithfulness. Well, this, that's, faithfulness is a synonym of trustworthiness. And I like trustworthiness because it's much bigger and more encompassing. It isn't just being faithful to someone's word. It's being a trustworthy person. And, and so it is God's trustworthiness that leads to trust. And so that's how I see Paul dealing with this in Romans 1. Before we can actually establish the righteousness of God that leads to trust, Paul realizes that there's a, there's a hurdle. And that hurdle is the fear of an angry God. And so he sets about, about, sets about to make clear the nature of God's wrath. And so he uses the same word as he used for the, in, it, in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. He uses the same word to apply to the wrath of God. For the wrath of God is revealed. And now we're going to have something definitive. Uh, when something is revealed, the apocalypto, it means that it is disclosed, it is uncovered. We now see it for what it is. So it's definitive and descriptive. So, he talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness by those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And uh, it talks about how they did not honor God, they did not give thanks to Him, their senseless minds were darkened. Verse 22, claiming to be wise they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. So what happens now? When God gets angry, what does he do? Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Is this arbitrary? Is this something God said, all right, I've had it with you, withdraw. That's how the Babylonians saw it. I don't believe so. I believe that God is pushed out rather than walks out. So he's forced out to have to let them go because they don't, I mean, you, you read it again in context, Though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking. When a person becomes darkened in, in their mind and, and futile in their thinking, they become incapable of understanding the truth about God. And God is shut out. And so the only thing He can do is let them go. For this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. And verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to things that should not be done. And here we have the list, and we're all included in that list. And Paul's going to make that clear in chapter 2. So, I pointed out last week, and this is again recap, that Paul gets his use of paradidomy, which is to give people up and hand them over. He gives that use from the Septuagint of the Suffering Servant Song, uh, where three times in the Septuagint it says he was given up or he God, or God gave him up, that is the Suffering Servant. Uh, and since it's used three times, I believe the three times here in Romans is reminiscent or an allusion to the Suffering Servant Song. Kim? 
Mine says it gave he gave them over. Yeah, you can translate is, it that it way. Was, that's a real different. It's it's slightly different, yeah. Um, and that's the sense in which it's used in the Gospels because he was handed over to the Jews. He was handed over to the Romans. He was in, it says that repeatedly in the Gospels. Paul does not use it in that sense. He's not talking about being handed over to people, uh, people being handed over to people, but rather being handed over to themselves. Now, there's another writer back of this that I think Paul may be alluding to. And this is a contemporary of Paul who died uh, before Paul, uh, and that's Joseph, uh, Philo of Alexandria. Because he talks about the consequences of sin very much like Paul does right here. But I'm not going to take the time to digress and, and look at that. I didn't bring the document with me so that we could. So with all of that in the backdrop... We now can approach chapter 2. Now, I'm going to start with verse 28 of chapter 1 for this reason. There's a therefore at the beginning of chapter 2. And without those verses, we're not prepared for what Paul says to, to understand it. So, uh, verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious toward parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, yet they do not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge another, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. What does that mean about the verses we read in chapter 1? The list applies to all of us. We're all there somewhere in that list. So we have no right to judge. And, and to me, it is a tragedy that we take certain verses that speak of same-sex relationships and take them out of context and make that our whole perspective on what's sinful. When what Paul is leading us to is something we are all a part of and it's time to stop singling out a single group of, singer, of people who may be living in sinful relationships. And of course, that that has a different whole different ballpark behind it. But... but I'm speaking now through the eyes of those who do that, taking that and, and kind of scapegoating them as though they're the, they are all the sinners and we are pious and righteous, so we have the right to cast stones. Mm-hmm. Paul is making it very clear if we read on that we are, can't judge other people because we are all guilty. There's been moments in my life where I've been fronted with the question, oh, but what about homosexuals? You know, are they mm-hmm. going to... Are they going to have uh, or they have a place in the kingdom? And I and I, you know, I said, well, um, anybody that practices sin and doesn't want to repent, I don't think will be there because it won't be fun for them. Uh, the same applies to me. Uh, in in this example, I used to them I said, I'm married, and if I want to practice uh, adultery in thought or in in 
you know, in my real life, uh, or I involve somebody else, um, it's the same same thing. I just suffer from a different problem. I, I just don't have yeah. that want. But yeah. if I, I said, if I if I follow my passion somewhere else, same, same problem. Yeah. It really takes people back a little bit because they're expecting me to. Right, and, because uh, this has been our trump card. Uh, I shouldn't use that word, maybe. <laughs> uh, but this is this has been the thing we we go after, and I I think we don't even have a concept of Jesus came for the very people that the religious leaders of his day shunned and considered outrageous sinners. Mm -hmm. Jesus ministered to them. They became his closest followers, not the ones who condemned them. So, you know, if I, I think of the last words that where Paul ends is probably the height of what he's talking about. It's the worst of sinners are the people without trust, the people who are heartless, and the people who are ruthless. They're the chief of sinners. And so often when we single out a group of people, we show ourselves to be heartless and ruthless. So therefore you have no excuse. Verse 2, you say, we know that God's judgment is on those who do such things, on those who do such things and is in accordance with the truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those you, who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? If we despise the kindness and forbearance and patience of God toward others that we deem sinful are more sinful than ourselves. We are putting ourselves under God's judgment because we're cutting ourselves off from mercy. When Ellen White talks about the wicked, she uses the term the rejectors of his mercy. The, the, the wicked, the, the best way you can describe the wicked is those who reject his mercy. So, or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now the next verse needs the Greek. But you... By your hard and impenitent heart are storing up wrath in the day of wrath, storing up wrath for yourself. The yourself is dative, and I take it as locative. Oh, I haven't learned locative. You haven't learned that yet, so I shouldn't use that on you, right? No. <laughs> Or explain it, at least. <laughs> locative it looks like a dative. And it's a location. It's built on the idea of, of place. Okay. And so I prefer to translate this. You store up wrath in yourself for the day of wrath. Or store up wrath in yourself in the day of wrath. 
That's a very different than storing a breath for yourself. We've always pictured that as we're storing a breath because we're storing up God's wrath. But Paul here is not talking about the wrath of God. He's talking about wrath. We're storing up wrath in ourselves in the day of wrath. He also, I don't know what your, your version says. Um, it says, hardness and impenitent heart. He's giving the results of what that wrath is doing Well, to our hearts, right? Yeah, there, actually, that is the cause of our wrath that we're storing up. Oh, is we it's, have the Im- it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. We have impenitent and hard hearts, and, and usually impenitent and hard-hearted people are really angry people. And they're storing up that anger, and and for the day of on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will reveal be revealed. For verse six, He will repay according to each one's deeds. Now, our our picture is skewed. We assume that to repay according to each one's deeds that we sit down and tally, they did this, therefore they need to punish this much. That's how we have always viewed it. But I'm suggesting that that is not how Paul is saying it. We store up wrath in ourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed because he will repay according to our deeds. He will allow our deeds to repay us. Because it is what that is storing up that wrath, it's storing up that impenitent heart, it's storing up all that anger that when unleashed pays us back. It's actually the works that we've done, the deeds that we've done to other people that pay us back because they affect what goes up here. It's a better narrative of a loving God because he's not the one doing that to you because he wants to save you from it. Exactly. Exactly. It makes so much more sense for God to be saving me from something I'm doing to myself rather than saving saving us from himself. Yeah. That's the, one of the things that before I thought, you know, every time you go back to the original language, you're kind of trying to split hairs, you know. But now that I've gone into the Hebrew and the Greek, you really understand that we misunderstand a lot of it. And yeah, it may sound right and all, but the, the meaning behind it can, can get a little foggy mm-hmm. if you don't know it. And that makes a lot more sense because God, why would God want to hurt people because my you know kids ask this question mm-hmm. and my own kids said well you know well why does why does god do this or why does he do that well does he want to spank me does he want to punish me and i say no he wants to prevent you from doing that mm-hmm. so so you get hurt because mm-hmm. if you do it you will get hurt and you can't you know you're it's your, it's your choice right. and he it can't, makes it he can't undo his law which yeah. the the law is that if you live in Contrary to a loving lifestyle, and you hate and destroy other people, you're destroying yourself. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. So, um, moving on, for he will repay according to each one's deeds to those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Well, for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury there will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
For God shows, uh, well, let me read what's in between. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality between Jew and Greek. We all are in the same boat together. That's Paul's point. And, and what he's saying is there will be wrath and fury. Why? When God lets go, <laughs> we see it. Apparently this week, Governor Jerry Brown announced that the president did not have any regard for the wrath of God. And he was talking in the context of California being burnt up. And it, it really, when, when I heard this, I became thoughtful of a statement in Ellen White where she says that when the judgments of God are poured out, and she refers to judgments as God releasing his control and allowing Satan to have control. And Satan is the prince of the authority of the air. The Greek is authority, not power. And that's in Ephesians 2. It's in the first few verses. After chapter 2. Uh, of Ephesians, you were dead and dead through trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the authority of the air. It's not power. Mm -hmm. It's excusia, not dunamis. You remember those two words? Dunamis is power, like in dynamite. Yeah, we haven't had that for vocab yet, but uh, Dr. Winkle mentioned it. Yeah, the dunamis is dynamite, so it's power. Excusia is authority. Hmm, so this was, uh, the, the original Greek here is uh, excusia? It's excusia. As in, what well, we get the word excuse, and, and the word excuse is originally the idea of reason. It has a reason for it. It's, it's reasonable judgment. It's not brute power. So the prince of the authority of the air, which means that when God lets him have his way, because we have chosen his way, in other words, we've chosen Satan's way instead of God's way, um, and he has to let us go because that, well, how else are we going to see the way we've chosen unless we go that way? So it, it reminds me of what Ellen White says in The Great Controversy, that as the judgments of God are falling, given that these are consequences of our choice, that people become convinced that the wrath of God is being poured out and that they must appease him and they will seek to appease him by establishing religious laws. That's why in Revelation 16 it talks about pouring out. Right, it's pouring out, it's letting go, it's not whacking. Pouring out into the air. So, uh, let's see, where were we on Romans 1, or 2 rather? Verse 7? We're actually, um, we read through verse 11. So, so he's talking about God's wrath being being poured out, being let go, actually as his letting go. But his main point is there's no difference between Jew and Greek. We're all in the same basket. Stop treating these Gentiles as though they're worse sinners than you are. And our time is up. It's hard to put a period at the end of any of Paul's sentences. They just go on and on and on. Uh, but we better stop are you able to share this? Mm-hmm. It's uh, all my all my classes are online, including 
this one. Okay. It will be. 